Do you think you've spent less during lockdown? Oh, or... enormously. I don't know what I spent it all on, Michael. <laughs> I yeah. spent so much money doing renovation on my house, so I actually ended up spend being being a lot There's more expensive. Than... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, People have been doing a lot of nesting. I've done a fair yeah. bit. I've done a bit of... Um, I've re-turfed my lawn on the weekend. <laughs> oh. Hi, and thanks for joining us at Facilitate Talks. I'm Michael Adenia, the Portfolio Director at Facilitate. And I'm Anthony Davies, Founder and Chief Executive of Dark Horse Consulting. And if you're joining us for the first time, Facilitate Talks is a socially distanced talk show for the Advanced Therapies community, where Anthony and I are joined by two guests to discuss the big issues in cell and gene therapy and what our audience are dealing with right now. But there's a twist. But there's always a twist, isn't there, Michael? That's right, Anthony. And the twist is rather than us ask all the questions, we invite our guests to ask the questions. Um, so it's no hold bars and we discuss you know, whatever comes up. And if you enjoy the show and like the format, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on YouTube or Google, uh, Google Podcasts and all of the various uh, podcast uh, platforms out there. And um, you'll never miss an episode. Also, if you love everything that Facilitate do, um, then why not become a member and get a whole bunch of benefits, including content straight to your inbox, discounts, special invitations, and the ability to be a part of an exclusive group. And you can sign up at www.facilitate.co.uk forward slash subscribe. So on to today's show. And this week, we've got two fantastic guests joining us. Our first is joining us from the suburbs of Philadelphia. She's been with GSK for 14 years and her, her career has seen her develop uh, biopharma and cell and gene therapy products from target to post-launch. Um, she has responsibilities ranging from three to five year business strategy, creating high performance teams and talent development, um, technology and partner management, as well as R&D strategy. Um, she has a PhD in chemical and biomolecular engineering from Georgia Institute of Technology, specializing in retroviral and lentiviral gene therapy. She's also a Women in Advanced Therapies mentor and has been mentoring uh, young women um, in the cell and gene therapy space through Facilitate's program um, for two years now. Um, she loves nature, cats, and spending time with her seven-year-old daughter. Um, please welcome Delphi Krishna, Director of Cell and Gene Therapy Platform, R&D Strategy, Portfolio and Operations at GlaxoSmithKline. Thanks for joining us, Delphi. Thank you for having me. And our second guest um, has a career that spans over 25 years with one company, and that company is the global leader uh, in diabetes research. He heads up their global diabetes research with one objective, to find a cure for type 1 diabetes. Now, he obviously has several million people eager for him to be successful in this, one of those being his daughter, Vita. Um, who has, uh, who has a type 1 diabetes. I'm delighted to have joining us from his vacation home in Denmark, which I understand the weather is a little bit choppy today. Um, it's um, our corporate vice president and head of stem cell R&D at Novo Nordisk, Jacob Peterson. 
And Jacob, thank you for joining us while you're on your vacation as well. We really didn't want to miss the opportunity to have you with us. No, absolutely not. This is a, this is a big uh, pleasure for me. And we actually have, as, as you said, the worst storm ever in 50 years. Uh, so it's, uh, it's nice to be inside and be talking to you guys instead of being out where I normally am when I'm in my summer house. Wow. And is this the, the first day of your holiday or? A second day. Second day. Second day in, I see. Yeah. You should have gone to England on holiday. The weather's always nice there, right, Michael? <laughs> well, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the Welsh weather is probably not that dissimilar to where you are, Jacob. And uh, I was saying earlier, so yeah, what, I was uh, laying my lawn on the weekend and uh, thankfully, because of the Welsh weather, I don't have to drain my sprinkler to, uh, to keep my grass wet. So for yeah. some people, it's good. For some on vacation, not so good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a little bit of sunshine, I must admit. But it's going to come in the next few days, so that's mm. good. And speaking of, yeah, looking, thinking of holiday weekends, it's, um, it's obviously just past Independence Day weekend. What's that been like in Philadelphia, Delphi? It's been really, really hot, uh, close to 40 degrees. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, quite humid as well. But uh, everybody's out and about with their masks on. And uh, it's, it's just a pleasure just to enjoy nature at this time. Nice. With, with what's going on everywhere. Nice. So you were able to get out and, uh, and spend some time outdoors over the weekend? Uh, absolutely. This summer, I taught my daughter how to ride a bike. So we've been oh. biking trails. Uh, yeah, so it's been a lot of fun. Oh, that's brilliant. And um, I think, Jacob and Delphi, are your daughters around the same age? My daughter is seven. Yeah, uh, well, so I have is six mine. Kids. I have six kids, so it depends on which daughter you're. So <laughs> 25, seven, and, uh, and, and five. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. Well, are there any twins amongst those? No, 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 no. Wow. So, uh, so I have a daughter that's 27, a boy that's 26, a boy that's 16, a boy that's 13, adapted from South Africa, and then two girls that's seven and five. And Vita, the one who's seven, she's the one with type 1 diabetes. Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're all very much a family-orientated group here. Anthony and I have... Uh, well, Auntie, as you know, I've got one on the way and uh, my eldest oh. is around the same age as your eldest. Is that right? I think, well, yeah. I think there's a few months apart. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, good, good. So without further ado, I, I reckon it's time to jump into our first question. And we normally like to get allow the guest to go first. So... Over to you, Delphi. Would you like to, to go first with your question? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So um, as uh, our, our folks and our family members at Facilitate and in the industry may know, um, GSK has a focused portfolio in cell and gene therapy uh, on CAR, TCR, um, XVO, autologous, uh, viral modified uh, products and um, we have uh, a lead asset in the clinic, uh, which, is, uh, which has been in license from Adaptimmune. And then we have some others which are entering the clinic. So my question is around um, the good old problem about cost of goods. 
And in addition to that, because it's ex vivo autologous vein-to-vein um, -vein time. And what I would like to uh, love to talk about today is what approaches uh, are we in the industry that, that our experts are seeing being used to reduce cost of goods and vein-to-vein -vein time? Nice. Um, I'm going to hand over to Anthony to, to kick things off and, uh, and share your thoughts. Really good question. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Delphi. And it's something that, that of course, we've been you know, borderline obsessed with um, over the years. And it, it's, it's always been a concern for me that uh, I think the phrase I used in, in Miami uh, this January, Michael, is that I, I'm concerned that the field is sleepwalking into a COGS crisis uh, by inattention to, uh, inattention to COGS. Um, you know, autologous COGS has issues of its own. Um, I think allergenic medicine um, is, is great. Uh, and and uh, I think we'll hear a, a bit more from uh, Jacob about that. But I think there'll always be a place for autologous medicine. And you said something very interesting there, I think, when you, when you said that, that we, were, uh, we, we should address the cost of goods and vein-to-vein uh, -vein time, because uh, in a very real sense, when you're doing um, labor-intensive manufacturing and skilled labor-intensive manufacturing, uh, time is money. So optimizing COGS might uh, be you know, very much impacted by reducing that, uh, that time period as much as any critical material or something. Um, at, at GSK, you know, what's, what's, uh, what's more important? Is it time or money? <laughs> uh, I, I think it's both. And obviously, as, as you're saying, um, we don't want to walk into a disaster of, uh, you know, cost of goods and, and vein to vein time. So um, we've taken a very data-driven approach to bo both of the things in terms of, and I, I think uh, Dark Horse has also published uh, several papers on this. So we've, we've taken a look at all of them and we're yeah. very grateful for them. You know, really modeling-based approach, uh, taking all the, the different processes, putting them in models, using data, simulating, thinking, uh, is it labor, is it consumables, is it factory utilization, what is it? And with XVIV Autologous, we've, we've really tried to align our technology investment strategy with what the models are telling us in terms of, uh, you know, um, uh, cell processing, trying to understand what exactly is the kind of cell that you have to go after, because we don't really have a very good handle on that. Uh, so defining that, understanding that, phenotyping that, correlating that to function is a big effort that uh, we are trying to get into. Uh, in, a, uh, in addition to that, we think analytics is also a big, big part of uh, how we deliver these, especially uh, advanced analytics, rapid analytics, um, you know, using less and less tests or moving them upstream, trying to do two-stage release, kind, these kind of things, where time is money, all of that, we are actively looking into that. For viral vector, um, we, we had an early breakthrough and we were able to follow like a, or we were able to um, a patent a technology in which we are able to use a monoclonal antibody-like platform where we have a stable cell line and we sort of put our therapeutic insert along with every, everything else for the antiviral particles and make packaging cell lines and harvest viruses. So that's been quite successful in terms of bringing the COGS down 
in terms of reducing the, the, the problem with variation of transient transfection and all of that. But we have both approaches um, in play depending on what our projects are. So that's sort of our COGS approach. And if you had to put your finger on one, one thing, you know, would it be uh, the, the critical raw materials? Would it be equipment? Would it be QC overhead? Would it be you know, human capital? Yes, I mean, what our models have shown us is essentially um, two, two big things. One is the utilization of the facility. So wherever you are, that's the biggest, biggest thing. Uh, and, yeah. and I believe your, your models have shown something similar, yeah. right? And then the second big thing is human capital. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, we completely agree with that. You, I think you referred to my, my colleague, Katie Spink and Andrew Stein's yep. article in, in 2018, which was mm -hmm. you know, loosely based on the Yes Carter uh, process, but trying to be a bit more generic. And I think one of the most surprising things to drop out for us was the sensitivity of the analysis uh, to plant occupancy. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, that's related to having you know, highly skilled, expensive people sitting around as well. Uh, but that the the level of sensitivity to that really surprised us. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And in autologous medicine, you know, uh, I, I think it was Nick Leslie from Bluebird who first articulated this, and I didn't quite understand it at first. He said, you know, failure is not an option. And I just thought that was some sort of Nick buzzword, but, but he, he really meant it because uh, for each individual patient, um, failure, there is no medicine cabinet to go to to pull out another vial of drug. And there may not even be another opportunity to do manufacturing. So in a sense there, um, you know, not confusing expensive with value for money. Um, I think that uh, a, a highly reliable uh, and robust manufacturing process may be Kind of worth more uh, where lot failure is not uh, not acceptable and so uh, you know, jacob I, I you know a good friend of mine and someone i think we all know well in the, in the field is, is stefan milton who's you're highly we, we know what we know what they make okay uh we, we don't need to pretend we don't and uh, he started a presentation once a number of years ago by saying uh, that he was, uh, for many reasons, including cost of goods, uh, a great fan of allergenic medicine. And his comment then was, uh, you know, just, just one problem, uh, the human immune system. So how, how, is, how is that argument, how was that argument uh, 20 years ago at Novo? How was it 10 years ago? And how is it today? And is, you know, is allergenic medicine um, going to solve all of the problems around uh, around cost and personalization. I, I, that, that's a great uh, question, Anthony. Uh, at least you can say that's a route that uh, we as a big pharmaceutical company has chosen to take, that we want to go after uh, uh, allergenic cell uh, and use that for cell therapy because we believe we better can control bats to bats. But I think what Delphi said about analytics certainly also go for uh, uh, allogenetic uh, uh, medicine because uh, you have cell, cellular products and if they are not the same, then, uh, uh, and you can show that they are the same, just like you have to do in uh, autologous uh, uh, medicine, then, uh, then it's not good. So we spend an enormous amount of time on our analytics and uh, release criteria. 
but certainly also uh, can recognize all the issues in terms of the cox that uh, you guys are speaking about in terms of qualification of raw materials for, for our type one product i think we have four persons full-time just doing qualification of raw materials so it's, it's a monkey's undertaking and what we try to reduce cox of good besides being very diligent in uh, planning the uh, manufacturing because that is uh, very important to have run at full capacity as much of the time as possible. That is actually to see in the differentiation process, are there any outliers in terms of factors and, and, and chemicals that cost a lot of money and then see if we either can produce it ourselves or make agreements with vendors uh, so to bring costs down. Because normally our experience in manufacturing is that is a couple of compounds that are very, very expensive. And that can be addressed, especially if you can produce it uh, uh, yourself. Then your second question, and that was the immune system and allogeneic cells. I guess we, like everyone else, are trying to make cells, uh, uh, embryonic stem cells or, or iPS cells that uh, the immune system cannot see by removing class one and class two and introducing something that inhibits in K cells. Uh, you know, everybody's doing it along the same lines. But nobody has actually so far shown that they can do that successfully in man. And that's going to be really, really critical, I think, for the overall long-term success of using allogeneic uh, uh, stem cells uh, in your differentiation protocols that you actually can demonstrate that you can produce cells the immune system does not recognize. What we are going to discuss a little bit later is devices, because you can also put cells in devices, uh, but that's a little I don't know if it's more complicated, it's a different avenue at least, but, but cells, making a stealth cells is gonna be really important. Also, hopefully later on to be able to replace some of the autology of cell therapies so you can go up in volume and scalability and, and consistency. Uh, uh, um, so, so it's gonna be important with a cell line like that. And just, one thing you mentioned, Delphi, around um, capacity, like utilizing the, the available space and the capacity that you've got. Um, you, in terms of the modeling you're doing around that, is, is, is any of it to do with the type of devices that you use within that space, you know, whether it's you know, isolators or you know, what kind of um, you know, incubation um, spaces that you use and so forth? Yeah, so, I'm, so I'm we sorry. have, yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead, Delphi. No, no, please go ahead. No, no, women's first, please. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, whatever sits within that facility, our central aim is to close it, automate it, uh, and reduce as much human capital as possible without compromising quality and all of those good things. So our approach has been wherever, several companies I have noticed um, have, have taken an approach of joining a lot of unit operations mm. from end to end, and that will re require operator input uh, and very skilled, highly skilled operator input. Um, I mean, it's no secret, GSK has a collaboration with Miltani um, to, uh, and we've invested in, in the Prodigy platform. Uh, but absolutely, it depends on how much skilled labor is required for whatever is in that facility to what you can, how much 
lower you can drive down the cogs. And, and once you've, you've uh, settled on an automated solution, it's about really understanding what is it that you want in your cellular drug product and how does that correlate with safety, efficacy outcomes? Yeah, I think it's all about making the right cells. I think we've heard that from, from both of you. Uh, yeah. One of Bruce Levine's uh, just amazing studies was the one where there was a clonal expansion from essentially a single cell in a, in a CAR-T product, which was responsible for the efficacy of that particular dose. And uh, it's just a matter of picking the right cell and yeah. you don't have to do much manufacturing at all. Uh, on Jacob, on your side, uh, it's about, I guess, getting to the right population because you have more of a, you know, you're, you're delivering the mass action in the drug product rather than uh, in, in subsequent proliferation of the cells to, to such an extent. Uh, but the same, you know, the, the, the need to exquisitely phenotype your product exactly. uh, is critical for, for allo and auto uh, alike. Well, well, plenty of food for food. No, 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 yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that, uh, uh, and I guess that's the same as, as Delphi is saying that the analytics is, is of vital importance, you know, coming from a protein and peptide company where you can do an HPLC and then you can look at impurities and maybe if you go crazy, you can do a cellular assay in certain regions of the world where that's demanded by authorities, but that's basically it. I think the complexity of analytics of cellular products is just enormously higher and requires much more skills and uh, uh, multiplexing between different disciplines, you know, from RNAC to, uh, to, to a lot of other disciplines uh, in order to be sure that the cellular product you have is the right one. And especially uh, when you are not working with autology cells, you need to be absolutely sure that you don't have any pluripotent cells that are left because those can cause of course teratomas so analytics for that uh, is also a big distinguish whether you need a lot of cells because then your analytics really need to be able to detect one in a million cell or maybe like for uh, retinitis pigmentosa or dry AMD where you need uh, hundreds of thousands of cells uh, your analytics uh, are not that demanding in terms of detecting unwanted uh, cells. So it, it's, it's actually a big issue for us and something we are spending a lot of time on. Well, I hope that gives you plenty of food for thought, Delphi. Mm -hmm. And thank you for, for the question. So next, it's over to you, Jacob. And as Anthony said, the topic of devices was something that is quite close to you. Do you want to tell us more about that? Yeah, uh, I mean, we, we started out at Novo more than a decade ago looking into type 1 diabetes. And at some point in time, we were doing both a device to protect from autoimmunity and to oxygenate the cells and then developing the cells. But we basically said for, for basically a number of years, let's focus on getting the cells right. And now a number of companies, including Novo Nordisk, have, have kind of gotten to a point where we can make the cells. And, and uh, I wouldn't say people have forgotten about the device, but now I think everybody in the field is struggling finding a device where you can put the cells in so they are protected from autoimmunity and rejection because we don't yet have a stealth cell. And also 
that uh, because the beta cells that you use to produce insulin to cure type 1 diabetes is an oxygen demanding cell. So you also need to have a device that either fast become vascularized, so it can supply oxygen, or that uh, uh, you supply oxygen from the outside. And that is uh, probably as complicated as it gets in terms of developing uh, a device. And I know that we and many others are struggling developing devices where the cells can survive. Because in type 1 diabetes, you also need a huge amount of cells. So you need basically a billion cells in a very small area. So there's a, it's, it's really, really complicated. Parkinson's disease, you need that we are also working on to deliver the cells in with millimeter accuracy in the specific region of the brain. Stroke, you also need to develop the cells uh, 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 into the pair in fact uh, uh, region and so on and so forth. Epilepsy, you also need uh, a precise delivery. Chronic heart failure, you also need to be able to deliver the cells so they're not pumped out immediately uh, again. So I think that uh, many of our collaborators, they are looking at the differentiation protocols. They can make cardiomyocytes or beta cells. And then they kind of think, uh, well, now we're almost there. But I can tell you, then that's where all the trouble starts because then you need to find a device. And that can actually take years to develop and uh, the good thing is that if you get it right, it can also be a competitive edge. Mm. So, so, so it's, it's a complicated area. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. And I remember even further back, uh, Jacob, when uh, I was working on a spinal cord injury product. Uh, again, there, that was also an embryonic stem cell product, you, you, you'll remember from the Geron days. And there, yeah. the, uh, the dose, again, a small dose, relatively small dose had to be delivered uh, in the in the peri injury area, as you as you say, you know, get it too close to the injury and it's just toxic. Uh, get it too far away and probably not going to see an effect. And this was being delivered intrathecally uh, to a patient who, you know, by the way, is breathing, so their their spine is going up and down to a certain extent. And I, I think uh, <laughs> you know that was a. <laughs> Uh, there was a lot of device engineering to solve there, and it and I, I completely agree with you that that taught us the hard way uh, the value of, of excellent uh, DevEng, uh, and these are combo products. You know, this this is a situation where, uh, in a way, that's perhaps not the case for you know Delphi's products, uh, where the, the device is just an and its delivery is an intrinsic part. You know, luckily, uh, I think transfusion medicine. Uh, you know, de decade or two ago solved many of your problems, Delphi, but you know, chip in if you think there's uh, anything unacknowledged there. And I think, you know, you, the, you, you got the ultimate set of conflicting variables, Jacob. You, I mean, I, I think something, unless I missed it, you didn't mention the, you know, the little matter that your cells have got to be able to sense glucose and release insulin and get those molecules in and out. But I, I'm guessing you don't want too many too much complement and too many antibodies floating in along with the uh, along with the good news from the uh, from the blood, right? No, no, exactly. And 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 I guess that's the dilemma. If you open up the device, so the kinetics of the insulin the cells are producing that the body needs, and that's fast kinetics. You know, minutes it needs to exert its actions when glucose goes up. If you open it up too much, then the immune system and antibodies can get in and kill, start killing the cells. Uh, and that's kind of the dilemma. And if you have too much fibrotic overgrowth, the cells will suffocate. 
So, so people are working on trying to get the device vascularized underneath the fibrosis or to prevent fibrosis uh, altogether. Other companies also working on that. So there are many different approaches, but so far, uh, again, we have not in man, we have seen some promises, uh, but, but uh, we have not seen a device where you can say, now we are ready for large scale manufacturing, uh, uh, making a device that, for example, can contain insulin producing beta cells. So, and I, my guess is it, it will be a number of years before we, uh, we, we, we are completely ready with that. And just to jump in from the event organizers view, do we, I don't think I know any that are engaged in, in my show at least. Um, who are the, the main device um, manufacturers and, and engineers out there at the moment? And what, what's been asked of them? Well, I, I, I think the reason why we haven't seen any because there aren't any. Uh, I, I think Viasite is probably the one that is at least furthest along in terms of uh, uh, there's Beta 2 Air, there's a number of companies, but there's not a good device company like there will be Lancet that can help you to produce the cells. Uh, it's, it's, uh, and, and the reason being is that producing cells from a differentiation protocol is a number of steps. And if you have a tank, you can adapt to that. Mm. But making a device, you know, in type one diabetes would be one form of the device. Making a device for Parkinson's would be another form of device. Making a device for chronic heart failure would be a catheter that goes through the vein and then, uh, 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 and then into the heart. So each of these requires separate skills and, and don't have that many commonalities. And I guess that's why that there are not big uh, device companies, at least not yet. And I think it will, they will probably come, uh, but at least not yet, there's not companies uh, that you can go to that can solve all your device problems. I wish there were, but uh, unfortunately it's not the case. So what we have decided at Novo Nordisk is that we together with our partners who then bring some device expertise, we will try to bring uh, uh, the rest. But it, but it is uh, an area that for some of the indication I have just mentioned that needs to be built uh, and, and, and quite rapidly. Because for example, if you inject cells into your brain or into your eye, you need to do it relatively precisely. And the better device you have, the more competitive you're also gonna be. And most importantly, the more safe is also going to be for the patients. Mm. It's complicated, Michael. It's uh, you might be able to contribute something here, Michael. It's like a, oh, it's like making a, it's like making a nice cup of tea, right? It's like a tea bag. You don't want the, uh, you don't want those bits of tea floating around, right? But you've got to get the flavor out and the hot water in. Um, we used to, the old nickname for that Viasite device was the tea bag. Um, yeah. And uh, would would that it were that simple? Although I'm I'm sure as a an avid tea drinker, Michael, you you don't think it's necessarily quite so simple, right? At eight forty three in the evening, I'm drinking something a little bit stronger than tea. I have to admit. Is that the time? <laughs> it's always. <laughs> um, no, that's really really interesting. Well, you know what? You've given me and my team a little project there, and see. If yeah. When, yeah, when you know, you're right. You're absolutely right, Michael. It's it's been under underrepresented. There are device engineering teams. They they have shown up occasionally in Miami, 
uh, ones that, you know, some of them we, we rate very highly. And there's common themes that, you know, Delphi, it's the same as for you. It's all about self-contact, mm. okay? And whether it's the inside of your, your Prodigy bag set or your, you know, your Luca pack uh, and the massive tube sets involved there, or whether it's the, uh, the inside of, you know, the, the tea bag or whatever uh, innovative solution Nova is coming up with. We're not, we're not quite sure yet, are we, uh, Jacob? No. Um, you know, compatibility, just not killing the cells. Um, again, as, as Jack pointed out, when that, whether they're being squirted out of a fine gauge needle into the cerebellum uh, for stroke or Parkinsonism or epilepsy, uh, not, not killing the precious cells that have been made is, is just as hard as getting them there in the first place. Mm. Um, so I think that is a project, um, Michael, and it's, it's one that has broad application. Yep, and no, and also, you know, yeah, and, and also, you know, simple issues, I guess that uh, uh, Delphi and uh, GSK also is looking at, you know, how long can the cells actually survive in the container or the device or mm -hmm. just the sheer forces when you're injecting the cells, you know, if you do too fast, you can actually, kill some, you know, neurons, for example, are really vulnerable to sheer forces, you can kill off the cells quite easily if you inject too rapidly. So, so it's not just, even if there is an off-the-shelf device, they need to demonstrate how to handle the cells in that device or an off-the-shelf bag that can ha handle blood products that can maybe also handle your cells. You need to demonstrate that your particular cells then are happy in, in that container or device. And then yeah. most importantly, also once you get to the operating room, if there's operation uh, involved, uh, how long can the cell survive in, in mm -hmm. you know, a steel container? And uh, uh, what if it takes 10 minutes more and the cells goes to room temperature? Will they work as well? It's, 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 it's really, really complex and a lot of uh, quality assurance along the different steps from when the surgeon has the cells and a device. And then when you get to the pre-filled devices, which probably is going to be uh, the type 1 diabetes device for treating diabetics, as we spoke about, then if, if you have to do too much in the operating suite, then you need a D GMP suite, and, and, and then you are limited to very few hospitals, and mm. the distribution chain become really, really complex. Uh, and, and all of these things you need to consider before you basically start your pivotal trials, because they need to be in order. Yeah. It's very difficult to change later on. Right. Yeah, there's a lot, lot to think about there. I've got a couple of thoughts in mind of, of organizations that I, I know that are involved in this space. And it's a, it's a topic that we don't, we rarely talk about on our agendas as well. So maybe there's something there that while we are unable to, to host events that we, we make this, a, a, we, we try and find some specialists in this to do some sort of webinar potentially. But thanks for that, Jacob. That's really, really good food for thought. Um, well, over to Anthony for our last question of the evening. Evening, afternoon. Uh, lunchtime. Yeah, <laughs> lunchtime. <laughs> not, not that I'm hungry or anything. Um, no, I, I think uh, there's a couple of things we might touch on here. Um, we, we, have to, we have to talk about the obvious, which is the pandemic situation. Um, you know, at Dark Horse, we, we, we've been monitoring this a, a lot over the last few months as to how it's impacting our clients, how it's impacting potential future clients, 
Um, you know, we see this uh, frankly amazing tailwind at the moment in the venture capital raises. You know, I think the month of April uh, saw, uh, the month of April venture raises in biotech were a full one quarter of the entire previous year, uh, which is stunning uh, in the face of the pandemic. On the other hand, there's the little, you know, the little issue of a, of a global slowdown, which I think it's going to be almost impossible to escape. Um, also, we see a, a tailwind uh, of perhaps, you know, if there's one thing we've learned from this pandemic, uh, perhaps society has learned uh, appreciation of healthcare workers and innovative and focused and fast healthcare development. I think that's a tailwind. Uh, and the other, the other headwind is uh, running manufacturing facilities in a distance manner, um, even pressure on manufacturing facilities, CMOs and, and pharmaceutical companies manufacturing facilities suddenly uh, wanting to pivot to work on COVID-19 related um, therapeutics and vaccines. Uh, I just have to ask both of you, uh, you know, How's the pandemic treating you on, on the macro level and the micro level uh, in, in the ATMP world? Delphi, what's, uh, what's, what's it like at GSK at the moment? Yeah, I mean, in, in the ATMP world, um, it's obviously impacted uh, the execution of our clinical trials uh, because everything ha has uh, slowed down. And um, it's, it's, sort of given us uh, a pause in, in terms of um, we have multiple programs, different types of programs, multi-generational programs as to, uh, to, to think if this continues, how, how we would, um, would we wait for newer technologies and not go with the older ones, you know, so, so it's forcing us to basically take a hard look at our um, two to three year strategy. Mm -hmm. um, especially in the area of multi-generational technology development, because uh, we, we, have, we have felt that um, in, in the CAR TCR world, um, that, uh, both, uh, that solid tumors was, uh, uh, essentially present a huge unmet need. And so with that, we have thought, um, well, what, what are the kind of technologies which will really crack um, you know, measurable, meaning, clinically meaningful efficacy. And we have invested in a lot of next generation technology. So with the pandemic uh, slowing things down, we are thinking, well, does it make sense to do the first gen and second gen and all those things in parallel? Yeah. Or should, um, or, or sorry, excuse me, series, or should we do it in parallel or just go with yeah. the second gen approach? So it's both misses and opportunities. Um, absolutely. What's the slowdown like? Are you losing three months of trials? Are you losing six months? Is it worse than that? Do, do you see yeah. light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say anywhere from like three months to nine months. I've, I've heard numbers across various programs. Yeah, yeah that's, um, a big, that's a material delay. It is. It is. Yep. Do you think you'll catch up or do you think that time is lost forever? Uh, I, I think the, the feeling is that um, I mean, we, we are trying to establish a wide clinical site uh, network to, to progress our trials. So um, the feeling is if we, if we don't catch up, we might try to utilize this opportunity to push some next generation approaches, which are not clinic ready sooner. Mm. So try to make the best of the situation. Deep talk. Interesting. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, 
Jacob, you're, you're in a more developmental environment than a, than a you know, pre-commercial and commercial environment. Um, how, how is it at Novo? Well, I, I think that uh, 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 I guess the industry uh, we we are very similar to uh, to 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 what uh, Delphi just uh, spoke about. I think for our stem cell capabilities, uh, uh, we were actually hit initially quite hard because we had a CMO producing cells for our Parkinson trial, and that basically with day notice they basically turned the incubators off, and that was it. Uh, and, and now we are back up again. Uh, we also have uh, our manufacturing facility in, in Fremont in San Francisco. That was also basically people were told to go home and, and, yeah. and, and that was also it. They are returning back now. In, in Denmark as such, uh, we have been very fortunate. Uh, I think now we just have uh, 10 people in the entire country on intensive care. We have basically no death anymore. The country is completely opened. And people take social distancing, you know, not maybe not the young ones, but but most people take it quite serious. So I think as a country, Denmark, uh, uh, Novo is is relatively easy hit. We had some uh, as a company, we were helping the sources uh, uh, testing for COVID-19 because the testing capacity was not high enough. That impacted us a little bit because we had to put personnel at that. And now we are making antibodies test uh, uh, also to help the authorities because from, from a you know uh, local stand Nova is is is, is quite a big uh, uh, local yeah. company uh, so we are taking that quite serious uh, and then you know we will be facing a few months delay and we are trying to catch up so so I think considering the crisis the world has just been through I think there's really no reason to. Uh, to, to, to complain about it. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a shame for the patients that our products eventually are going to be delayed. But I think looking at what the world just went through, I think uh, we can cope with that. I think that's a very good way of putting it. Michael, and, you know, over at Facilitate, all you do uh, when you're not at conferences, all you do is fly around the world looking at nice hotels to hold conferences in, right? So uh, <laughs> what, what on earth? Ha, ha, but, but seriously, how is it at Facilitate, your conference organizer, and there aren't any conferences? Yeah, I, um, yeah I, I've been trying to reduce my, my international travel for the last three and a half years. <laughs> so, um, you know, more time at home is definitely one of the positives that come out of this for me personally. But you're right, though, Anthony. It's, um, you know, as, as organizers, the uncertainty of not being able to um, run face-to-face -face meetings is is really really tough um especially when i mean look we we don't have um we don't have a direct link to patients that we're accountable for um but um you know our customers do want to get face-to-face -face and there's organizations that i know that you know rely on rely on our events for their business survival for for, for their opportunities so um mentioning no names <laughs> <laughs> anthony can't even afford a jacket at the moment yeah, <laughs> yeah no it's uh it, my dress code has fallen off uh, yeah. i think yeah i think we all uh, we're all at a point now where nobody is even pretending that we don't miss the the face-to-face -face interactions and the conferences that the travel's horrible we all hate the travel but we love it when we get there 
and mm. I've had many conversations. Uh, I think I said to you the other day, Michael. We, we're sort of all confessing that um, even with the, you know, the uh, the whole being away from home too much thing, um, just personally as well as professionally, we're we're really missing it. Yeah, and you know the, what, the only things you know we can't. I can't replace it like for like. Yeah, there's a number of organizations that are you know, doing that have kind of had to do virtual events um, due to you know, various um, needs of stakeholders. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I'm not in that position yet. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I genuinely don't know what our situation is going to be like come December. Slash come December, I'm going to need a hug from Michael at some point, you know, I don't know what we're going to do, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but, but hopefully, hopefully Trump will get a little bit more under control than he has now. Oh yeah. So we can start meeting again. Yeah. Mm. But I think I think one thing one thing is the meetings, and and there you're right. There the personal interactions are, are are vital because a lot of the interactions you are having you didn't plan for, and and uh, you go hear talks and uh, you listen to people, and I, I personally really miss that. What I maybe don't miss as much is, is going a lot of times to uh, San Francisco to our manufacturing facilities. Uh, and I think that, that there are some changes that are here to stay, that we are gonna use video conferencing a lot more than uh, we did in the past. At least that's, I think that's one of the changes that's gonna happen at Novo, that we are not simply gonna travel as much. I think scientific meetings is, is an exception because they're the personal interactions and networking is, is, is vital. But for business meetings, I think many of them are gonna be, and also, you know, we're looking at ways to do a process transfers because we have the process development in Denmark and the manufacturing in the US to do process transfers, uh, uh, you can say via, um, not meetings like this, but, but uh, without actually going in person. And yeah. there are uh, uh, the HoloLens from uh, Windows and the others there that are quite interesting where you potentially can do stuff like that. And I think that is also uh, going to come much more in the future. And it's just being accelerated right now due to the COVID-19. You're right. Like, you know, we're all learning new skills. We just pushed out a white paper on virtual audits. Yeah. Uh, and if you need someone to pop down to your manufacturing facility, I'm, I'm just up the road. Okay, so just give me, give me a call. Yeah, we will. <laughs> good, good. Um, any more thoughts on any, any, anything else to, to add around that at all? I think that's the big issue of the, of the moment, Michael, is uh, we're, yes. we're dealing with this thing and we're trying to move our products forward. I think, uh, you know, Delphi's comments about perhaps, you know, cup half full, maybe some products will leapfrog uh, the development cycle and uh, you know Jacob it must be it's, it's great to hear you know everything that Novo is doing Novo is a big company and it's uh, it's going to be part of the solution uh, not just in Denmark but also globally um, down the road yeah and I yeah really appreciate the fact that we're able to connect uh, on this conversation this evening and um, you know Looking at the time, Jacob, I know it's getting late in the evening for you, but uh, yeah, I have to say- My wife's putting their kids to bed and they're still not asleep. So just take five more minutes, then it's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want you to miss story time. Well, no, uh, no, no. I hope that's not the 28 year old that you need to put to bed as well. No, 
no, no, no. <laughs> um, look, this is really, really enjoyable. Thank you so much, guys, for sparing the time to, to have this conversation. And, uh, you know, and, and thank you to our audience out there listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. We are always eager for your feedback. We're three episodes in now, Anthony. And, uh, you know, I feel like yep. we're, we're getting a bit of rhythm. Um, but always keen to hear how we can, can make this show better. So please do let us know what you think. Um, and I always like to end with a little bit of content that we got coming down the Facilitate Pipeline that can keep you engaged. And one thing that, you know, speaking of remote assessments, we've got a, the European CDMO map is released and has been updated by our editor, uh, Nicola Ambler. So, um, if you are looking for um, CDMOs on the European landscape, then that is a great bit of content for you to, to check out and start your assessment. It's got capacities, technologies, and, and obviously locations and, and uh, all the latest information about the key players um, on, on the, uh, the continent. So you can find that at, um, at the www.facilitate.co.uk forward slash exchange so without further ado we're going to wrap up there and uh, and let everyone um everyone um get off and i really appreciate your involvement delphi krishna thank you so much for joining us thank and you for having me it was a real pleasure thank you and jacob thank you for joining us again and i hope the weather gets better for the rest for the following 13 days of your holiday yeah so do i Good. Otherwise, we can do another podcast. Of Thank course. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But thanks for having me. It was uh, really my pleasure. Thank you. And Anthony, I'll speak to you again soon. Sounds good, Michael. Thanks Thank for hosting. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.